Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We've got a bit of an impromptu show for all of you listeners today as our guest actually requested a platform on this podcast to discuss a topic near and dear to his heart, a topic that captured the tennis Twitter world's attention on Tuesday as we received the official 2021 WTA awards ballot. We now know who the nominees are for categories such as 2021 Player of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, Most Improved Player of the Year, and so much more as such we had to discuss that on today's show and we are joined by the man who again requested a spot to do so tennis channel editorial producer david kane who i suppose by some organizational charts is probably my boss although you know don't tell david i said that all that said whenever he requests a spot on this podcast you know we will always offer it to him we discuss our cases for the players we consider nominees for player of the year i suppose strongest nominees for that award we get into most improved we get into newcomer we also talk about the historical value of these awards do they actually matter long term and you know again how much stock should we put in these recipients is it just a fun exercise is it something we should be weighing more of as we look towards things such as hall of fame nominees etc etc all of that said again whenever we can debate metrics statistics who had the better year what was more significant you know that's what we love to do here on this show so i guarantee all of you listeners are going to enjoy today's episode of course before we get to it just a couple of quick reminders if you missed out on any of the past few weeks of tennis action across levels you can catch up on it all on our website crackrackets.com of course like rate subscribe review to this show the mini break podcast where we're recapping all the biggest storylines results and controversies day in day out go check out our cracked interviews podcast as well where we're speaking with coaches with players from the various levels in the tennis world of course be on the lookout for our coverage this week of the boys 12s national indoor championships on our crack rackets youtube channel of course that's an event we are super excited to be running this weekend in indianapolis but more importantly we're excited to broadcast some of the brightest young talents in the country. Certainly, it should be an exciting event. We hope you all, if you're interested, want to tune in with us Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We will be on the broadcast. So that's what we've got on the horizon at Crack Rackets. If the podcast slowed down over the next couple of days, that's why, of course, again, we're slowly shifting into off-season mode. Once we hit December, it'll be all off-season content. But until that point, still a couple of things to finish up on, of course, final thoughts on the ATP Tour Finals can be heard over on the mini break podcast feed and again all of our content available on the website crackrackets.com but with that said let's talk wta awards in 2021 with the one and only david kane westoff hit those credits let's start today's show joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our crack racket shows and i will say this normally it is me bothering the guest hey do you want to come on the pod talk about x topic i always appreciate hearing from the thoughtful tennis followers out there but this is a first folks we had a request and this request came after the wta award ballot was revealed obviously we've talked about it all year long the narrow margins at the top of the game for awards like player of the year for awards like most improved even newcomer of the year this was always going to be a very fun award season but joining us on the podcast today to offer his instant reaction is perhaps the man you'd want to hear from most about this very topic a former 
WTA employee, now editorial producer for all things Tennis Channel, Tennis.com. You name it, he does it, of course. He's the birthday boy as well. It is our friend, David Kane. David Kandiev, Dosvedanya, my friend. How are you doing? <laughs> Rivet Sasha. I had to nominate myself to come on the podcast because when the awards came out, I saw I wasn't nominated for anything. So I figured I needed to get myself on somebody's ballot. And I'm very glad that you accepted me with open arms. Oh, this is the dream. This is what I've been where this is why you might be the returning champion. And I'm gonna have to retire it for everyone else because this doesn't I, I was flattered beyond belief. I mean, again, it was an instant yes. I was like, what time? I was like, you tell me when are we doing this? Because of course, award season is something we love here at Cracked Rackets. But beyond that, it's your birthday. And I feel like this is the birthday where on the current tennis age curve, I think this is the smack dab prime, David. We're hitting age 30, 2022. What, what story are you going to break? Like, I'm a little afraid. Like, it's going to be a big one. I know. It feels like I have sort of free range for the next couple of weeks to check in with my with my guys and gals who are on vacation in the Maldives and elsewhere to maybe break some big big coaching switch but you'll have to stay tuned because I don't have anything yet <laughs> I like it no and for you obviously happy Thanksgiving you doing anything fun here to celebrate the holiday I'm going out to Long Island wow. <laughs> Is that, that's fun, nowhere right? better nowhere better <laughs> I didn't get to go I didn't get to go last year two years ago I was supposed to go to Brooklyn the whole family comes down with the flu and we think oh don't worry about it there's always next year it wasn't a next year, but there's a two years from now. And that's all we could. That's all we could be thankful for over at uh, over at Casa de Cane. No, I love it. We have a tournament this weekend, and I had always heard for you know boys 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, the level one national that you know it's always Thanksgiving weekend here at the end of the year, and you're traveling across the country. And I'd heard all these stories about the Cracker Barrel Thanksgiving dinner. It's a rite of passage for the USTA. I have to experience it post playing career, which is a little bit of a bummer, but that's my plan for the weekend. I'm amped, you know, still tennis for us here. I, as we are recording this, I am in my room at home in my parents' house, got to see them before they head off for other Thanksgiving festivities. But yeah, I mean, it's just in that festive spirit. I feel like today shows perfectly in that spirit as we're talking awards and we're talking a celebration of the 2021 season. And of course, this is a fascinating WTA year. Once again, the continued, you know, I don't want to say lack of dominant force, but for lack of a better term, there is no definitive number one player in the world. The era of Serena, I don't want to say it's over because of course she's still playing, but the era of her as the unequivocal number one, I think it is safe to say, although we'll get into the metrics in a second, uh, which are pretty funny, but safe to say, it's pretty, you know, it, it's not 2016 anymore. It's not 2015. We're not getting those sorts of Serena seasons any longer. At the same time, you know, we had the Halep injury. And if you go back to the end of 2019, start of 2020, and even post-pandemic 2020, she was excellent. But we didn't really get to see Simona Halep at her best. And she has been, in my opinion, second best player of the 2010s. And so, you know, she fell off a little bit this season just due to injury. It took Carolina Pliskova for a little bit while to get going. And, you know, she did eventually get going. But she fell out of the top 10 for the first time in forever this season. And then, of course, you have the arrival of all these next-geners as well. Well, and we're talking about the next next gen here on the WTA tour. I'm Arata Kanu, obviously headlining that group, winning the U.S. Open. Layla Fernandez ends up making the final. Coco Goff has a spectacular start. The consistency she th showed through the first six months of the season, obviously first quarterfinal for her at the French Open. That was another stepping stone. You know, the era of Sabalenka, she was 
maybe your most consistent player throughout the course of the year and was so good through the first six months. Garbine Muguruza on hard courts and at Conteve Krejcikova. I mean, Maria Sakari's had this excellent season and it's going to be an afterthought five years from now, but just up and down the board, a lot of spectacular performances are, A, I'm curious, are you a voter in the WTA awards? Have you been a voter in the past? And I do feel like when you look at this ballot and we'll get into some of the names, it's tough pickings across the board. I can't remember a year where, it, you know, so many categories were this unclear. I have been a voter in the past. I did not receive my ballot yet. I'm sure it's an oversight, but <laughs> looking at the nominees, I mean, you mentioned Coco Goff earlier, just a testament to how many players have made dramatic improvements in 2021. Coco Goff made her top 20 debut this year, and she's not even nominated amongst the WTA's most improved player of the How about year. Wimbledon quarterfinalist Victoria Golubic while we're talking snubs? Like when I looked at this list and that was my reaction, by the way, before the podcast, sorry, that's irrelevant to you listeners, but David knows what I'm talking about when like, how was she not on this list? She was so excellent this year. And I know it was across levels, including the ITF level, but I'm pretty sure she's made 10 quarterfinals. Like it's her and Conteve with that number. I don't care across levels. She was that good this season. It's like, yeah, at the same time, you know, Jess Pagula is not going to win the award. <laughs> That's crazy because she was ridiculous this year too. It's 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 a it's a it's a tough it's a tough ballot because you're dealing with in many ways sort of obvious picks because you have some Grand Slam champions among three out of the four major awards and player of the year, most improved newcomer. I mean, you could obviously slate them in pretty much with Barty, Krechkova, Raducanu, and yet there are so many interesting conversations to be had. It was sort of an interesting debate that went back and forth on social media this morning about the objectivity or, or lack thereof in these awards. And in many ways, first of all, I feel like for, if you're Serena Williams, I think you're going to remember how many grand slams you won. I don't think you're going to remember how many WTA player of the year awards you won. <laughs> this is really something for fans and journalists alike to to Kvetch over ad nauseum because who was really the most deserving player to win most improved in 2013? Was it Simona Halep? Was it Sloane Stevens? Halep edged out the American in the end, but both of them have won, gone on to win Grand Slam. So I guess all's well that ends well, and they probably don't remember that debate from 2013. But it's it's it, it's just such a fascinating list of players. There were so many standout performances across the year and in uh, short bursts, you know, from in different sections of the season. So it's it's tough to see that only one person can win each, each of these awards because in many ways it feels like I could hand out 12 newcomers of the year even if I was familiar with them it feels like they brought a brand new energy a brand new game to the 2021 season it feels like I didn't know you and now I'm happy I did yeah and again Radakanu's not on the most improved player list and Clara Tawson's not on the most improved player list these are players who yes were young but I'm pretty sure they made unequivocal jumps this season some of the biggest jumps we saw across the board and by the way, again, recording this in my parents' household, your usage of the word kvetch, just exactly what we're talking about here. But I guess this brings me to a larger topic before we get into any award category specifically. Do any of your awards matter in tennis? It's not given the weight of an NFL, NBA, MVP award, right? You don't, when you're talking about the Hall of Fame case for Tomas Burdich, you're not like, well, he was a six-time player of the year, top six finisher. Like, that is not... It's topic that ever comes up or, you know, we'll remember that 2012 season when, you know, Kane Ishikori won most improved player of the year and had that big jump that I feel like that is not something that comes up in the Hall of Fame discussion in the way 
postseason awards do in so many other, in particular, team-centric sports. And I suppose individual awards are how you highlight individuals in team-centric sports. In tennis, you win the title, you're the best individual. But I don't think there's that much weight put on these awards, to your point, other than very fun conversations to have here on podcasts at the end of the year. Yeah, I think your most dramatic uh, voting block periods take place from the day the nominations come out and they end the day the winners are announced. And then I think never again do we think back on these ballots. But I think for tennis, especially the individual awards, so, so to speak, are given out throughout the year in terms of Grand Slam titles, major victories. Um, year-end number one. I mean, that, that's why I feel like there is a discussion to be had about, yes, Ash Barty is the year-end number one for a third straight year, phenomenally impressive. Is she player of the year? It's a conversation to be had when you look back on the year 2021. Will you remember Ash Barty's six titles or will you remember something else more from the other nominees, two of whom or three of whom are other also Grand Slam champions and have their own arguments to be made in terms of player of the year. But it's it's just something, like you said, that we could talk about, we can argue about, and and something we can calmly and quietly forget about when the voting period comes to its end oh i so disagree i'm pivoting here i'm adding award titles into every you know we like to get into the weeds here you talked about subjectivity we're going to try and objectively build cases and then we'll incorporate our opinions on those cases but how many player of the years has serena won i was gonna look and then i thought better of it to be well honest. don't worry i did look for you <laughs> give me the guess eight very good guess, David Kane. Seven. She won four oh. straight, though, from 2012 to 2015. I do think that matters, that she was consistent. Again, and you look at the multi-time winners, by the way, here. Here are the players who have won multiple players of the years in the 21st century. Justine Ennen, Kim Kleisters, Serena Williams. That's it. I do think that sort of list matters. And by the way, that speaks to the peak of Justine Ennen. It speaks to the peak of Kim Kleister's. You know, Halep's only won the award once. I think that matters, by the way. She was definitively the best player. Kerber's won an award. Muguruza's won it. Kvitova won it 2011. I think this is the best way to make the case that Amelie Moresmo was, you know, at some point the best player in the world. 2006, she wins this award. I Like, these are nice little tidbits that I'm definitely going to start incorporating because why shouldn't awards matter? I do think they will. Like, 2020 Player of the Year, do you remember who it was? I'm curious. Oh, man. No, I don't. Exactly. I don't remember who ITF World Champion is either, if you wanted to bring those awards to the table as well. I think they're they're their own. Um, yeah, they the only one I remember off the top of my head is 2004 when Anastasia Mesquina broke sort of the three-ray Russian tie and came away with ITF World Champion. See, all I remember is Taylor Townsend winning it. And I know it goes to the year-end junior number one, but like that to me is the most memorable ITF award. I, I'm not sure why. Uh, it's because I love Townsend's game. That That's really why. But... It was Sonia Kennan. She was the 2020 player of the year. And you think about it, she wins Australia. She makes the final at the French. Like, okay, it's an int- it's just, it's interesting. I do, we should, I'm going to do more award segments here. I'm mixing them in, folks, just so you know, that's a sneak peek. By the way, most improved players over the course of the year is also fascinating. Jeannie Bouchard, 2014. That's, that's an, int- you know, obviously that speaks to how good her season was. Halep, 2013. Ostapenko 2017. That's how she gets her award. Kennan won it in 2019. Sviantek 2020. It's just interesting. You know, again, you see Sviantek win it there. Again, Emma Raducanu not nominated for the Most Improved Player Award here in 2021. Speaks to the depth in all of the categories. But again, 
that's your history of the awards, I suppose, for all of you listeners who are unfamiliar or were curious, why don't we put more weight in it? I That's my promise to you all. I'm going to moving forward. We're going to make awards matter here uh, at Cracked Rackets, but with every all- tournament's going to have an MVP. You're yeah, just going to start giving out awards. It's going to be your own trophy ceremony. After Honestly, every- I've been looking for bits to update the mini break in 2022. I think this is the one. And I think I'm just going to start doing more Mount Rushmore's. Like, who are the best South American clay court players of all time? Like, Christian Green belongs on that Mount Rushmore. Um, you know, you can go on. Mar- Mar- the breakies. Cast your vote. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. With all that said, let's start making some cases. Let's start with player of the year. And by the way, an interesting tidbit you offered that I do think is worth uh, mentioning as well year end number one matters like we care who ends the year ranked number one we don't care who's the consensus player of the year though I think there's a bit of a uh, misalignment there you know again something's not checking out but you look at the nominees here WTA player of the year Ashley Barty Barbara Krachikova Garbine Muguruza Naomi Osaka Emma Raducanu Arena Sabalenka Iga Sviantek I'm just going to, it's an open question. Any snubs, any names jump out to you? What's your thought process as you look at this award? I mean, to be honest, it, it feels like sort of a bloated list. God bless Arena Sabalenka and Iga Sviantek. I don't know if they were necessarily, I don't know what they did necessarily to grab a player of the year nominee in the face of your Grand Slam champions and WTA finals champion in Garbini Muguruza. Um, Seems like just a nod to, I mean, Sabalenka's consistency was fantastic. As much as I enjoy watching her play, she ne- wouldn't necessarily get my vote. Um, maybe if she had come away with the WTA finals title, I could see her as a definite um, nominee and, and perhaps a, a threat to the title had she not missed Indian Wells and and not um, and not exited in the uh, the round robin of the WTA finals. But yeah, those are, those are probably the two head scratchers of this nominee list. Otherwise, everybody else, for sure, uh, obvious picks for me. Oh, so good. We have an early disagreement. Okay. I agree. This list is a bit bloated. Barty, Krejcikova, Muguruza, they're locks. They belong on there. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Naomi Osaka is interesting because at the start of the year, she was the best player. And she beat Muguruza in Australia in a fantastic match where both players were playing their best, and she was that good. That said, we got three months from her. And I would take the totality of Sabalenka's season in terms of saying who was the better player from start to finish over the season Naomi Osaka has. So, again, if we're trying to narrow this list, that would be a cut for me. Sviantek, if there was like a most consistent player where not measuring upside, she would be a nominee on that list because, again, she's the only player on the WTA Tour to reach the round of 16 at all four slams this season. That matters. That is consistency. She's a year-end tour finalist. She wasn't injured for the majority of the year as well, won a couple titles. That longevity, those sorts of things matter. That said, again, I would take the consistency of Sabalenka, who I think's best was better than Sviantek's case in point, the semifinal she made back to back at Wimbledon, the U S open, and just, you know, the run she had uh, in Abu Dhabi. And honestly, I'm, I'm tailing in the end of last year as well. She was that good, you know, plays Serena really close in Australia as well. I think Sabalenka belongs on the list. I do not think I'm belongs on the list because yes, Good results at 100K in Landisville. And yes, you know, loses to Tossin in three sets, I think, in Chicago. And obviously, we have the U.S. Open run, which was outstanding. But again, 
for the same reasons I would cross off Osaka, I would cross off Radikanu. She gave us four four quality months, obviously top 30 months, and her best was best player in a Grand Slam. Good. But I just don't think she's on the level of the Barty, of a Krejcikova, of a Muguruza, of a Sabalenka. I think those four need to be on the nominees. And then how can you not throw Conteve in there, who was solid through the first two-thirds of the season and then historic in the last third? And again, if this is player of the year, not who was the best player at any individual moment, who had the highest ceiling, it was player of the year, I just think Annette Conteve I mean, she is one of your stories you're talking about at the end of this year. I'd throw Conteve on that list, and then Barty, Krejcikova, Muguruza, Sabalenka, Conteve. That's my five. I'm going to rebut you on Osaka and Raducanu, and here's Good. why. So this this speaks to where how I like to measure who is the, my personal WTA player of the year. I think it goes beyond statistics. It goes beyond results because ultimately, if you're going to do that, that's what the rankings are for. That's what the year in rankings are for. That's what Grand Slam trophies are for. I think with... When you think of player of the year, when you look back on the 2021 season, what are the things you're going to remember? What, are, what, are the, what is the first thing you're going to remember? Oh, that was the year that Barbara Krejcikova won that crazy Roland Garros. Oh, that was the year that Emu Raducanu, at, at 18 years old, won, won the all-teen U.S. Open final. Oh, that was the year that Naomi Osaka started a global conversation about mm -hmm. mental health in a way that just took over the entire sports world. Now, you can argue her results at the end of the season, but I think when you think of player of the year, the player who had the most impact on 2020, I mean, you even think of what Osaka has already impacted in terms of press conference protocol, the, 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 the accommodations that are being made for players who are not feeling it after a match and do not want to have to be put themselves in front of the media after a tough loss, after a tough match where they're not feeling their best. Accommodations are being made for them, and that is because of Naomi Osaka. So in that sense, it's I think it's about something greater. And obviously, there has to be some line, because for me, my 2009 player of the year would have to be when Anastasia Rodionova won the second round of the U.S. Open, and on match point, Sabine Lissicky rolled her ankle and yeah. was wheeled off the court, but that's not a nominee. But I think for 2021, I think <laughs> there's a reason why Osaka Raduk and Raducanu are on the list. And frankly, there are enough British journalists who vote for this that I could see Emma Raducanu pulling off the upset, and I encourage them to do so because it would be very, very funny. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm sure if you find odds for this, she's a little, she's probably like second, which is crazy, but- Yeah, probably. Your I recency mean, bias. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So the Osaka, you're you're so fascinated. So you're it's an interesting case to say that the player of the year should reflect the storylines of the year. And I don't disagree with that case because we love a good narrative here at Crack Rackets. That said, shouldn't the tennis also I mean, the Osaka, you're right. To put Osaka on the list because the conversation she has started about mental health with athletes and their relationship with the press does transcend the sport. And anytime someone is transcending tennis media to uh intersect with national media and global media that should matter and that should be reflected in the award ballot you left off Annette Conteve's run at the end of the oh. year when you you know remember the 2021 season and I think if you're going to put those two on the list then you have to have Conteve on the list as well but mm -hmm. I mean I'm, I'm, you those say two no to ones, those two ones I listen I think Annette is a, a fantastic nominee for most improved she was one of the players I was sort of uh, teasing when I talked about WTA Newcomer because this feels like a whole new Annette Contevite <laughs> that was not here before 2021. So in many ways, she's my personal WTA Newcomer of the Year. I think if Annette had won Guadalajara, had gone all the way, that would make her a pretty easy pick. Even the fact that she lost twice to Muguruza, all the Muguruza did play fantastically, 
little bit of a red flag for me. I'm willing to give her a pass because of how phenomenally she did play between Cleveland and the WTA finals. But um, yeah, no, for her, it's so um, localized those two, three months of the season that without a big major title, it's hard to justify her being on the, the player of the year list. And I hope you, it, hers is a narrative where she'd have to win a slam next year for you to really remember this run in two, three years. When you remember 2021, are you going to remember and Akonsevite doing what she did to make the WTA finals, maybe in the same way that you remember Caroline Garcia doing something very similar in 2017, but she was nobody's 2017 player of the year either. Fair. Okay. I mean, I feel pretty good with Barty Krejcikova Muguruza on that short list. <sighs> you haven't you even picked go- a winner yet. <laughs> I know, yeah, well, we're going to lay out the case moment too. I mean, that's my short list though. I, I think even discussing Osaka, Radikanu, fine. You want to have them on the ballot. I can't question that. But if we were going down to three names, those are the three, in my opinion, who I think you just have to pick, whether it's a combination of narrative, whether it's a combination of just success on the court, whatever it may be. Those three stood out above the bunch. Of course, you look at some of the you know big picture statistics right now. You want to look at things such as rankings. Uh, right now, it's Barty number one, Muguruza number three, Krejcikova number five. You look at points accumulated this season, it's Barty one, Krejcikova three, Garbin Muguruza five. You want to look at things such as total wins on the year. Uh, I believe Muguruza is sixth overall with 42, Krejcikova, uh, uh, excuse me, yeah, Krejcikova fourth overall with 44, Ashley Barty uh, a little bit, uh, excuse me, seventh on the list with 42 of course she did it in the fewest matches her 42 and 8 record the highest win percentage this year on the wta tour you know barty made nine quarterfinals you look uh for krechikova she made seven muguruza made seven you want to go semifinals i believe ashley barty made five uh let's see uh krechikova made four muguruza made three you want to go overall titles on the year barty won five she went five and one in finals uh barbara krechikova three and one in finals this year Garbine Muguruza, I believe two and one, uh, excuse me, three and two in finals this season. So, you know, again, big picture numbers, everything's pretty narrow. I'll make, I can get into more statistics in a bit, but I'll just leave it at those. Are those your top three and which way are you leaning? I mean, I, I would say it's pretty much a top two between Barty, Krejcikova and the rest. I mean, I don't, while I don't, think missing or not playing your best for large swaths of the season precludes you from being nominated. I do think I give extra credit to players who did play well and were present for most of the year Um, in terms of picking an overall winner. I think there's sort of a difference between nominating who I would ultimately put in that because you can only vote for one person. Um, That said, it it is a tough debate between Barty and Krejcikova and sort of speaks to who do you, what do you value as maybe someone who watches tennis, someone who was just sort of number one from wall to wall, number one, really didn't have a terrible performance all year, was just really consistent at a high level, was in many points of the season far and away better than the field. That said, I happen to lean more towards a Barbara Krejcikova just because, again, going back to what I said before, that what will I remember from 2021? It's got to be Krejcikova, what she did, and not only in singles, but in doubles, winning Roland Garros in both. The speech that she gave after she won the WTA finals, giving um, kudos to Martina Navratilova and recognizing the anniversary of the Velvet Revolution. This was a player who showed up all year, played far better than anyone could have ever expected. And maybe I'm making a case for most improved saying something like that. But I just think that that was something that was so unforgettable. And in many ways, Barty performed to a level that we've come to expect. And so maybe that 
and maybe that's not fair because she didn't really necessarily outpace expectation. But um, I think in, in when I look back on this season, I'm, I'm most people are going to remember Krejcikova. They're gonna, it's going to be the first it, between her and Raducanu, who are the two players you remember winning a slam from 2021. It's going to be those two. Yeah. I, again, I think f- from a combination of narrative and results on court, it's hard to argue with that pick. And you look for Barbara Krejcikova again across the board. She was so excellent uh, in every, you know, by every statistical measure, top 10, top five, you want to look at things like ELO ratings at the end of the year for Barbara Krejcikova. She ends up number, I believe. Uh, let's see, where is Krejcikova in overall ELO? Oh, she's fallen a little bit down to number 18 in overall ELO, 18 in 2021 specific ELO. And I think that speaks to the struggle she had towards the end of the season and I do think when you look at the metrics, look, Krejcikova uh, finishes just outside the top 26 club because I believe her break percentage ended up dipping a bit towards the end of the year. And so she's not top 26 in hold or break percentage. And you look overall on this season, there were uh, 13 players on the WTA Tour who finished top 26. And I said 26 to sneak Bedosa in, just in case you're curious, David. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, again, my player of the year. Yeah, she's not one of those 13 players. And look, Barbara Krejcikova cleaned up against who she was supposed to clean up against. You look at her record against players ranked outside the top 50. Krejcikova went 29 and two, you know, that's a 94% win percentage. That's as good as anyone not named Barty and Conteve who go 26 and one and 23 and one respectively, which is just freaking nuts. Um, but again, against higher levels of competition, Barbara Krejcikova against top 50 players, 15 and 16, David. And, you know, again, I I know some of that is compounded with some of her early season results, but, you know, whether it's against top 20 players this year, Barbara Krejcikova, six and 12 against top 10 players, four and seven, she wasn't as good against the best consistently. And some of those numbers were piled on with her year end finals results. But again, I, I think the upside on the court of Muguruza and Barty was a little bit better. And, the problem for Garbine Muguruza, she got injured in Charleston. Otherwise, for me, she's the pick because I will say it till I die. The, the best player I saw at any point this season was Garbine Muguruza, whether it was her two weeks in the Middle East, whether what she flashed at the end of the, of the you know, year-end finals, how good she was in Australia as well. When she was healthy, you know, there were pockets of just excellence. And I mentioned all the stats. She's a top 10 finisher in just about every advanced metric. And she's one of only four players to finish top 15 in both hold and break percentage. But of course, monitoring it all year, like we do here, she was, it was her and Shiantek who were top 10 in hold and break percentage all year long. And it was just the two of them. And by the end of the season, she had just dipped. I think she's like 11th in hold percentage. That's why she doesn't get over that finish line there. But, you know, again, she was really, really excellent. And you look for her, you know, for Garbine Muguruza. She played 15 matches against top 10 opponents this season. That's tied with Maria Sakari for the most. Seven and eight against the top 10. That's pretty damn good. You look for her against the top 20, 11 and 10. Again, that's pretty solid. Uh, 21 and 14 against the top 50. Those numbers were better than Krejcikova. But of course, she only won the year in finals. She didn't win a grand slam. She didn't make a semifinal, final sort of run. And so for me, that knocks her off the list. And I know it's very basic. She's the year end number one. But Ashley Barty was that good 
this season. And I already mentioned the gaudy number against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Ashley Barty, 23 and one. You look for this season, 19 and seven against top 50 opponents that uh, win percentage second only to Emma Raducanu, who of course is seven and zero against top 50 opponents, uh, which is just very, very funny. Although I don't think that includes the half loss. So I guess that that number is a little bit lower now. Uh, either way, point being Ashley Barty, second you know highest or second highest win percentage against top 50 opponents she's 14 and one david 14 and one against the top 20 this year that's ridiculous you know seven and oh i believe i want to say for ashley barty excuse me seven and one against top 10 opponents like she won over 80 percent of her matches and you go back in you know, time and it's the historical seasons. Yeah, Serena is closer to 90%, and Justine Ennen had a 90% year in there. But the Kim Kleischers of the world who have won this in the past, the Petra Kvitovas of the world who have won this in the past, when you hit that 80, 85% win percentage, you win five titles and six finals. You're only playing, I think, 15 total events on the year, whatever it was. That's a historic season. You know, Ashley Barty was that good on the court this year. And again, didn't play her best in that U.S. Open match against Shelby Rogers. No doubt about that. It was a sour taste at, at the end of the season for her, but dominated in Cincinnati and, you know, dominated at Wimbledon, dominated in Miami, looking really good before. I mean, okay, you're giving me a face. I don't know if she dominated. Push. I mean, I think with, with Barty, I think what was so impressive was that she was able to win Miami, Stuttgart, Wimbledon, and I, I I didn't see a ton of her in Cincinnati, but those those three specifically, she was playing matches below her best. I mean that that early those early rounds of Wimbledon were pretty dicey. I mean uh, lost the second set I believe to Carlos Suarez Navarro. You know that was a surprising development. You know it was a tricky semifinal against Angelique Kerber. Gets through that. Gets through you know sort of some nervy finishes against um, Carolina Pushkova in the final. And that match sort of presaged what we started to see from Barty at the U.S. Open, these sort of um, shaky closing, which you don't expect where you expect her to be so businesslike and just straightforward getting these matches over the finish line in sort of contrast to your sort of emotional <laughs> uh, Eastern European contrasts uh, that you deal with on tour. I mean, I, I mean, with Muguruza, it's a, it's a case of, you know, for, in many ways, she feels like the comeback player of the year. If you, if you take out her 2020 Australian Open final, it felt like she was building, she's been building towards this performance since January of 2020, didn't, really wasn't a factor after the pandemic, and then had to really reinvent herself in 2021. It was, and it was performances at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, both times were completely unexpected. And I think that's what, again, from a narrative point of view, you just didn't see Muguruza running that hot and running that dominantly. And fortunately for her, it didn't end up happening at a major, largely because of Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open and then because of the injury uh, in Charleston. I think it, it is this, in many ways as successful as, a, as, <laughs> as successful of a season as it was for Garbini Muguruza. It is a question of what ifs. What if she didn't get injured? What if she converts that match point against Naomi? I do believe Barty is the player that everyone's going to vote for. It helps that she is the first player on the list. And I think many people are going to see that she was year number one, won Wimbledon. It's an easy, it's an easy pick for people, but I do think I, I appreciate the fact that there is debate here and that it isn't necessarily open and shut. That said, given, given Krejcikova's place, amongst the WTA most improved player of the year. I think it makes it very easy for people to split their vote and both people come home happy with awards and both of them won grand slam. So it's, it's a double, it's a double whammy for both of them. Let me throw one more narrative 
piece of the equation of why Barty is the pick here. And I know that's not a hot take and I think people expected me to go Muguruza if I had to guess, given what the listeners have heard all season long, but I do lean Barty. Doesn't it sort of epitomize again, what this season's all about in the big picture, which was, this was a season held during a global pandemic. Ashley Barty did not return home for nine months during the season because she just couldn't throughout the course of the year. And when you think about her success in the context of that, it makes it that much more impressive. And just, you know, again, I, I think it's an easy pick. I, you're right. Like, I do think in the end, given the degree of high-level success that she had across the season, and it was, you know, again, she gets the major title at Wimbledon. She wins 1,000-level events now, and I'm glad we can call them that, in Miami, in Stuttgart, and, you know, again, in Cincinnati as well. She earned the big titles. She won the metrics as well. She was a top 25 club finisher. And by the way, for Ashley Barty, she finishes second in the year in hold percentage. And you look for her, you know, by break percentage, Ashley Barty break served 39.6% of the time this year. That's a career high. She got better this season. And what we always seem to forget about Ashley Barty is she's still just 25 years old. Like this, there, it does feel like there's a world where Ashley Barty still continues to get a little bit better because, of course, the backhand, it just feels like she has continued to improve, particularly in the way she swings through it. And, I mean, that's like the one gaping hole is you figure serve to the backhand, you'll get a short backhand chip return. Of course, that never happens because she's so good on that wing. But it does feel like Ashley Barty could get better as well. And I just I do think if anyone is closest to ripping off a two-major year, a three-major year, it's probably Ashley Barty. No, because it didn't <laughs> happen this year. But I will say with Barty, the argument for Barty is, listen, she had a lot to prove coming into 2021. And there was a lot, you know, a lot of factors messing with her that could have potentially really derailed her season. And she played through this year completely on her own terms. She stayed home when she wanted to stay home. She committed to the season for as long as she wanted to. And when she was done with her year, she said, look, I'm done. I'm not playing a day longer than you need me to. I'm not showing up to the WTA finals. I don't need to. I've wrapped, I've, I've locked up year number one. I don't even think the rankings for number one is as I think at the beginning of the year was maybe more important to her to sort of prove that she was that number one player. I don't know if it's necessarily as important to her now that she's racked up that second major title. I don't see Barty having that sort of long-term consistency. And I do think that long-term consistency in sort of in terms of racking up multiple majors in a season. I could see her continuing to win majors over her career. She is clean, consistent. And I think it also helps the fact that she is not playing that much and you're not getting that same sort of exposure to opponents that can sort of, you know, people need time to figure out somebody's game. Barty, mm -hmm. since she has won her, you know, her whole career narrative is sort of base is predicated on an absence she took two years off and came back and has really continued to play her career on her terms which is highly admirable but you're not getting that same exposure that maybe other opponents may get to really figure out how to beat that game um but all that said yeah she's by st statistically speaking she is the obvious pick and i and i do believe she will win it yeah, I agree with you. I think we can leave that there. I imagine Ashley Barty ends up your player of the year, but again, we will find out what the vote as the vote comes in. Excuse me. Let's move now to most improved player because this is a fascinating one. And we've talked about this on the men's side in relation to the Cam Nori, Casper Rude, Aslan Karatsev debate. But I think the women's side is just, you know, here's the difference. Barbara Krejcikova went from never playing a Grand Slam main draw to winning a Grand Slam, and no one did that on the men's side. And that jump is so, 
uniquely exceptional that it just puts her on a level at at the start ahead of everybody else. That said, this was a year of jumps. And of course, the criteria is the player who finished inside the top 50 and showed significant improvement throughout the 2021 season. Paula Bedosa goes from being on the wrong flight on the way to Australia to winning Indian Wells and making the semifinals of the year-end finals. Layla Fernandez, Grand Slam finalist. Own Jabour reaches a first quarter final, cracks the top 10, tied with Annette Conteve for most wins on the season. Obviously, what Annette Conteve did, to your point earlier, she's a brand new player in her run. You know, I wish we had best streak as an award here. On you know we're gonna do a separate fictional award podcast at some point in December because we gotta fill pod time and there'll be things like best American and best hot streak and I think honestly best hot streak between Conteve and Krechikova is just as good of a race as most improved here but you can't forget the jumps made from people like Jess Pagula who goes from outside the top fifty to you know comfortably inside the top twenty five and again. They have Maria Sakari on this list. I do think this was a step forward. She was one match point conversion away from, you know, bursting the Krechikova bubble. And who knows if how the season unfolds from there, if she wins that match, that's definitely a big what if. And just, you know, again, the jumps from a Clara Tawson, who I can't believe is not on this list. You know, she was as improved as anyone. I think <laughs> who had a better, I was going to ask who had a better season, Layla Fernandez or Clara Tawson. And I would say Clara Tawson, but we can save that debate, I suppose, for newcomer. Um, I mean, this is just such a tough award, David, because there were so many players who made jumps this season. Which way are you leaning? Give me your top three. Yeah, I think here you have another, you have a maybe a closer top three, but maybe the two and three are grouped closer together than number one. I mean, it's, it's this ballot is just mean i mean like you have a, like you said a wta 1000 winner a, a grand slam finalist a grand slam quarterfinals who's making history every time she takes the court in, in own jabor what annette contavite did which it bears repeating is you know completely incredible barbara krechkova is a grand slam champion and it's 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 rough i mean i think my top three for me would be krechkova a bit of space bedosa and contavite uh just because Bedosa had the hardware and she did it more consistently, I would argue, on all surfaces, making quarterfinals of Roland Garros, fourth round of Wimbledon and taking home the title in Indian Wells and and, and being equally dominant in many ways to Contivite in, in round robin play, beating um, Sabalenka and Sakari to to finish top in her group alongside Contivite in the other group. But it's it's a tough one because Krechkova is clearly going to win. <laughs> I mean, like it's you you put a Grand Slam champion against this group. And again, like the improvements, only one Grand Slam main draw in singles. It was 2018 Roland Garros to the four years, three years later, win a cap off a phenomenal run um, over Sakari in the semis. And again, against Pavlyuchenkova, who was really coming back there in that second set. And in, in a match where she really didn't have that experience in singles, was able to tap into her doubles experience, this sort of this cosmic spiritual connection that she has managed to maintain with, with late coach Yana Novotna, which is really inspiring and beautiful in many ways that she's been able to not only win this incredible title but carry that momentum through large parts of the season stats top 10 top 20 top 50 win loss records notwithstanding be a player to make the wta finals not just off the strength of winning a slam but the, the consistency thereafter it's tough to beat <laughs> the bedosa case you make is interesting i didn't have her as high as you did I do think she probably has to move a little bit higher up my list. I mean, Owen Jabour's had such a fantastic season. Again, if it was most consistent player, it would be like Sviantek, Jabour, 
and Krejcikova belongs on that list as well, but and that's not what this award is. I just, I don't know how you have Layla Fernandez on this list and not Emma Raducanu. Like I just that seems to me like something you could switch out if we're going to put Emma Raducanu in all these different places. I'd probably Fernandez for- feels like a newcomer in many ways. Yeah. But I think this probably the fact that she did what she was able to do in 2020 sort of kept her out of the newcomer conversation. But sure. I, I like Towson and Raducanu in newcomer because they're they're young. They're still quite that's sort of what you look for in a newcomer nominee. But we're having players sort of outpace their age in 2020 yeah. in 2021, making doing what they did, you know, especially Raducanu and Fernandez. I mean, Fernandez, if you're voting for her, you're voting for her based off the strength of that phenomenal US Open run, which there are enough people perhaps who still probably know, I mean, Leila Fernandez really became a household name this mm-hmm. year in a way that Krejcikova probably didn't. And I know that was something that was, she was really interested in sort of becoming a star. I think even mm-hmm. the speech that, you know, I, I don't, t- I don't say that cynically when she, when she gave that speech in Guadalajara, but I think there is an intent for Barbara to become some, someone that people know, love and like and appreciate and all that stuff. So I think that's, sort of maybe counting against her when people are looking at that ballot, they're going to see Layla Fernandez's name and they're going to think, oh my God, that run to the US Open final was incredible. And I think if she had carried it through to Indian Wells, I think maybe you really could have started to see a conversation bubbling around her winning one of these awards. But um, yeah, I think it would be rough to give it to somebody based off the strike of one singular major result that did not end up with the title. Yeah, I would probably put her in the made-up award hell of a run category, just as opposed to this one. I agree, or newcomer more so than this. The damn award. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, that will be an award now that we have to do. A couple other snubs, just quickly in this category. Sarah Cerebus Tormo, like, you can make a case she belongs, right? Kind of in this most approved. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I think I've even tweeted this year that she was such an obvious pick for, I mean, her and everybody else in the top 100, it would seem. But yeah, I think... um, that U.S. Open was sort of a was a turning point for her too, because you yeah. felt like she was building all this momentum on hard and courts and really blitzed. got blanked by yeah. Raducanu. And in a match that no one saw coming, I think it was a pretty talk about narratives. I think everybody thought that was the match that that Sara Saribas was going to win. You know, give the experience lesson to the young Brit, and it really turned the other way and ended up foreshadowing the entire fortnight for for Raducanu. Yeah, that's that's a tough one for her because she really did have a talk about somebody who was just has become a player that you don't want to face Ash Barty first round of the Olympics. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's a tough one to not see her here. Yeah. And then I would throw probably Zidanezic maybe on there as well, oh, just with her gosh. semifinal French open. She yeah. won a title this year and you know, again, top 50, <laughs> but the problem is Pagula's jump was bigger. Like that's the crazy thing. It's like, I'm sorry tomorrow is a Danzig, but Jessica Pagulo yeah. was more most improved than you were most improved. So therefore you're not on the short list, but I, I don't know. Again, you, you probably have to give it to Krejcikova, right? Any final thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think ultimately Krejcikova will win. I mean, I think <laughs> when you think of the improvements that Palabadosa made, I it's and, and not, and to not have the doubles to really predict any of this. I mean, this is really someone who built herself up out of nothing as a junior you know, who had all that success and had to rebuild herself and deal with, you know, struggles with uh, depression, anxiety, and 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 become this sort of consistent top eight force by the end of the year. Really phenomenal stuff. She just has the bad luck of running. I mean, and again, she's someone else that Roland Garros really for Sakari, Bedosa, Pavlyuchenkova really just could have been a, a, a clincher for so many players. And Krejcikova was the one that won that title. And so in, in this, in weirdly the same way that you can't give it to Fernandez or Zidancic, you kind of almost, the the French Open is the clincher for Krejcikova. 
Yeah, it's again. Yeah, I mean, she definitely wins the award, but there are so many shout outs. And again, that's why I wish there were a couple more awards like best hot streak. Like Belinda Bencic, Olympics through Cincinnati, honestly, that whole hardcore stretch through the U.S. Open or like Ostapenko on the grass, how good she was momentarily. I wish there was a way oh for God. us to yeah to honor that and just like. That's a great award. Best, best consistent, most momentarily consistent. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Who gave us like the best two weeks for two weeks just kind of blew us away. And, you know, again. Contefe probably wins that award because I would argue her run down the home stretch was more impressive than Krejcikova's what Strasbourg through Wimbledon just because she did it for nine weeks in a row or something crazy like that. And it's like, that's how we can nominate her. But yeah, there are so many other ones. Angelique Kerber, how about from the grass courts through the U.S. Open? Like she had a ridiculous hot streak. Carolina Pliskova from Wimbledon on, she had a ridiculous hot streak. And so I just feel like we could get more creative. But again, we do want these awards to matter. So perhaps it's best we keep them concise and, you know, uh, a bit more specific. And with that in mind, let's go next to newcomer of the year. And again, how does the WTA define this award? It's the player who made the top 100 debut and or notable accomplishments for the first time during the 2021 season. The nominees, Ann Lee, uh, Camilla Osorio, Emma Raducanu, Ludmilla Samsonova, Meyer Sharif, shout out Pepperdine Tennis, and Clara Tawson. I mean, again, there are a couple of snubs, it feels like, on this list as well. Maybe, you know, this is where you put Cerebez Tormo, or maybe this is where you, you know, throw in uh, an Angelina Kalanina, I feel like belongs on this list. <laughs> she was exceptional here throughout the course of this season. And just, this is a tough one because there were so many players who went on ridiculous runs as well throughout the course of the year. Where are you leaning here? I mean, Radakanu is probably wins the award because she won a Grand Slam, and that was the highest high of anyone on this list. I think you know where my pick's going to go, but where are you? I think I might zag a little bit. I think my my sentimental number two, it, to the extent that Raducanu is the runaway winner of this, would be Kami Osorio. I mean, I was talking to mm. Colette, my very good friend Colette Lewis about this at the U.S. Open. I mean, we were there for when she won the Junior U.S. Open title in 2019, and as charming and engaging and hilarious as Kami was looking at her size and her game and you felt like worrisome how this might translate to the WTA tour. And really it's, it's translated quite well, winning her first title, making a final in Tenerife in the fall with a win over Svitolina. I mean, just some, some, some phenomenal stuff from kind of making the third round of Wimbledon, you know, just, just, and, and enjoying every bit of it, even as she sacrificed half her name at some point during the year. I mean, I mean, I think that, yeah, she certainly wins the award for best name switch, even if potentially even beating out Alina Monfils. Or David <laughs> Kanyev. Kanyev. The finally get nominated for something. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I would love to get, I mean, talk about best like week on tour, what Samsonova was able to do on grass is sort of unforgettable. I think with Clara Towson, in most other years, she would be sort of the obvious. She's sort of like the poster child of a normal standard newcomer of the year who did just enough as a young player to stand out and sort of build the foundation for a career to come. Unfortunately, she's in a generation now with, with a Grand Slam champion in her midst. And while she certainly has the talent and the capabilities to match and perhaps surpass Raducanu with a bit of improvements uh, in athleticism and footwork, I think it's a little soon. And again, it's a shame that as great of a year as she had, she get the only recognition she gets is her titles and ranking and prize money and not this uh, WT Newcomer of the Year award. See, I think it has to go to Tawson. I like, I just, I, as good as- It's a tastemaker pick. 
Well, yeah, exactly. This is the fun one. And by the way, again, I love the Ann Lee inclusion on this list, especially. Uh, and we, I, I, my question is, does just she American. Out? Yeah. Well, that's a separate award. And by the way, really with Pagula in the mix, don't forget that Jen Brady, Australian open title, Coco Goff. Do you think Ann Lee was the best American here no, this season? I don't season? take any Ann Lee slander. No, I obviously with, with, <laughs> yeah. with, with what I would give it to Pagula over Brady, just based on body of work. But yeah, yeah I think that's that. So it's, it's a solid three musketeers. There. Oh, like yeah. Goff has an argument as well, though, by the way. Yeah. Don't sleep on the golf argument in terms of best player from start to finish, but why you give this award to Clara Tossin again, just look at the numbers here this season. She was ridiculous. And you go by things just again, total, you know, finals here this season. It was Ashley Barty and her with the most at six. Clara Tossin goes five and one in those finals. Now, not all of them were at the WTA level, but again, she dominated all year long. And you look for Tossin just across the board, whether it's things, you know, just as such as her record here this season for uh, Clara Tossin. You look at what she's able to put together 37 and 14, 73% win percent. I went back in time for a different segment we did at Crack Rackets, looking at the best teenagers in WTA Tour history. Obviously, Monica Sellis, tier of her own. After that, Martina Hingis, separate tier of her own as well. Serena Sharapova were at like the 75 to 80% range, and they were sneaking into Grand Slam finals and having all this success as teenagers as well. But then there's the next tier, the Ennins of the world, the Kleisters of the world, and the, you know, honestly, Iga Sviantek was pretty damn good as a teenager as well. Don't sleep on her results. Clara Tossin's right there after the course of this season, and you look for Tossin again overall on the year. She is one of the 13 players to finish top 25 in both hold and break percentage, and, you know, again, you can see the firepower so evident. The backhand down the line is going to be a weapon for her for the next 15 years and just how dedicated she is to the game. She's a tennis nerd like, you know, we are. She could come on this podcast and rip off these statistics and do, you know, all of these different things. She wants, you know, there's not a doubt in her mind, barring injury, Clara Tossin will become the best version of herself at some point during her career Again, metrics-wise, she's ahead of where the Osakas were, ahead of where the Andrescu's were as teenagers. She has been that good this year. Now, you're right. We didn't see it at the Grand Slams. Part of that is she just wasn't getting wild cards the way other players were, and she's had to work her way through qualifying, but she has worked her way through qualifying now. She has worked her way into the top 15. You just look you know, for Clara Tossin in her career thus far across levels, David, 134 and 41. She's winning 77% of her matches. It's just like, you know, overall in her career already, and I know this is across levels, she's made 16 finals. She's 12 and four in those finals. So I suppose that means she's played what? 53 events. She's made final in 16 of them. Uh, 16 of them. She's made the final in a quarter of the events she's played. That would be, again, in the Ennin and Kleister's tier, maybe even a, a hair above them early in their careers. Clara Tossin was that good this season. When you look back, who are all the elite prospects to emerge? Yes, Radakanu wins the freaking U.S. Open, and she'll be the one we're talking about if nothing comes of Tossin. But when Tossin ends up ripping off a top 20 season next year and she makes the Australian Open quarterfinal right away to start the year, it's going to be like, oh, duh, we should have all seen that coming because she was that good on the hard courts and just I'm all in. I'm Clara Tossin. I actually think I'm more in on Clara Tossin than I am on Radicanu, despite seeing how good she was at the U.S. Open, because with all due respect, like I've seen Emma Radicanu lose. I swear to God, I've never seen Clara Tossin lose. Like, it's just incredible. 
Raducanu fans about to burn your house down for this. But I'm, I'm going to say. <laughs> well, by the way, it's not with, saying Raducanu's bad. It's saying Tossin is equally, if not maybe even a hair more exceptional. Which would make Raducanu worse? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the different, I mean, with Clara Tossin, I just go back to that Roland Garros match against Vika Azarenka. It just seemed like such an obvious signature win moment or breakthrough win moment. She doesn't do it. She had the chances in the second set against Ash Barty to even take a set would have made me feel a bit more comfortable making that argument for her over Raducanu. But I think, you know, it's sort of similar. It's, it's again, what do you value in terms of like long-term lower level consistency in a Simona Halep in 2013 or Sloan Stevens's run to the Australian Open semifinal? I think you, in the absence of a big, big result from Towson, it's tough to give it to her over Raducanu. But like I said, in, in any other season, she is the clear, she is what this award is about in many ways, that player who is setting the, setting the stage and setting the scene for what should be a long and fruitful career. And I think I would be surprised if next year Towson is not nominated for at least one of these other two awards that we just finished discussing. It certainly won't be newcomer. I'm going to give you a hint as to which of the two it might be. It's not should, Lin- double team either. <laughs> should Linda Fruvertova be on this list? Because we all got introduced to her as well. Like that's a newcomer. Brenda Fruvertova as well. Another newcomer. Again, just a, a, a Brenda and Linda. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a, again, it's, it's dense in every category. I mean, no. yes, it's dense, but there's an obvious winner in all three of these major awards, which makes it sort of anticlimactic. But, you know, that's for us, it's, we got to have fun. That's why I had to call you up the day it came out because we had to start having these conversations now before Raducanu and, Bar- and Barty and Krejcikova start racking up all the votes in all three like, categories. Yeah, we can I change like some my- minds. My ballot's so basic. So going back to most improved, because again, I want to throw some zags at you before I get to bonus categories, rapid fire, and then I want some thoughts on the ATP finals from you because when you think David Kane, you think ATP analysis. Had This is such a what if because obviously if she'd won a grand slam, the season is completely different. But I just think Sabalenka belongs on the shortlist for one of these categories. And honestly, if you're going to pick one most clearly, like top three, I could make a case that it goes Krejcikova one, Conteve two, and then Sabalenka three for most improved player of the year. Because let's just say she wins one of those Grand Slam semifinals, just one of them, and makes her first Slam final. In terms of level of improvement jump, because I talked about this on the men's side, and I think it's worth mentioning on the women's. Yeah, Paula Bedosa won a, a 1,000 level event, and you know obviously that is a major jump. But Sabalenka showed over these past 14 months, I'm going to throw in the end of 2020 as well, that she can definitively be the best player in women's tennis. And I know she hasn't quite gotten there from a consistency standpoint. And I know we've seen talent from her in the past, but she's gone up a notch, like a notch and a half. And you could argue the improvements she's made and just the leaps, you know, again, back-to-back semifinals, getting into that first, second week of a grand slam and winning, you know, the success she had across the board this season, beating the Bardies of the world and, you know, on and on and on. Like, does she belong on the most improved shortlist? That's the this one snub I'd forgotten. Like, I could yeah. throw her third and say the improvement she made, that jump actually is more significant than the jump Bedosa made, than I mean, the jump a Jabour made, than the jump anyone else on this list made. As good as going from top 50 to top 20 is, I would argue going from 15 to three is like that's the hardest jump to make in tennis. And she made it this yeah. year. I mean, Krechikov is above her, but she made it. It's quantity versus quality. I mean, I feel like with, with Sabalenka, hers is an improvement that comes down to winning 
one or two extra matches at slams. I mean, which feels sort of insignificant when you say it like that, exactly. but it was pretty it's like monumental for It's Sabalenka. like, we're really going to judge it. Sorry to cut you off. We're really going to judge it on two losses that like one horrible service game against Layla Fernandez at five, four in the third set is the difference between her not being on this list. I was there. It was bad. Um, I think, <laughs> again, I think with Sabalenka, I mean, much like Muguruza's Charleston injury, Sabalenka's COVID diagnosis really throws a wrench into this fourth quarter for me because I did feel like coming out of the U.S. Open, Sabalenka was feeling positive, confident, happy, healthy, ready to potentially win Indian Wells. And I think if she shows up to Indian Wells, plays well, doesn't get sick, she comes to the WTA finals and potentially wins it. I mean, for large swaths of her round robin matches she played some phenomenal tennis on a very you know on an unfamiliar court at altitude she's a madrid open champion even in the first set first three quarters of that first set against Bedosa, she seemed like the obvious pick to win the WTA finals and just the rust and nerves really crept up on her in a in a in a spectacular way and i think if again if she had managed to win one of those two titles or come deep she might have been potentially a most improved because hers like muguruza is an improvement that started last year when you think of Muguruza making the, AT, the ATP finals, the Australian Open final, and then uh, what uh, Sabalenka famously did at the end of 2020, winning Ostrava and Linz back-to-back. You were there, I was there. Famously. You were all there for that one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's again, there are so many players who are going to come out of this imaginary awards ceremony empty-handed, and it's just tough that they're not going to get their, yeah. their little plaque, <laughs> their no, little picture ab- with their name on it. Absolutely. And with that in mind, let's rapid fire through some extra ones and we'll do full podcasts on these bonus awards, but curious to hear, uh, what your thoughts will be on some of these, David. I mean, let's start with the two other ones we haven't hit doubles team of the year. You have a strong preference one way or the other. Nominees, by the way, Ayama Shibahara, Gorachi and Krejwich, Suisi and Elisa Mertens, Krejcikova, Sinyakova, Schurz, Melikar, Martinez, and Stozer Shway. Who do you pick? And there was a brief shining moment where it should have been Kudamedova Vesnina. Unfortunately, (laughs) well, um, two match points did not go their way at Wimbledon, but I think doubles teams, I think more than anyone goes in terms of brand brand loyalty. And I think there's been no stronger brand in the WT doubles game the last couple of years than the Czechs. And obviously what Krejcikov has been able to do in singles has really bolstered um, the Czech brand winning the WTA finals. Just, I think they're going to come away with it. I mean, that said, there were some really great performances from Stozer and Zhang winning the US Open. Um, what Shea, what Shea and Mertens was able to do at Wimbledon. Sue Shea obviously has her own brand that maybe that might be able to carry her over the finish line um, with this new partnership with Elisa Mertens. And even you go back to the beginning of the year, what Mertens was able to do with Sabalenka winning the Australian Open. That seemed like the team to beat uh, at the start of the season before Sabalenka announced that she was not going to play um, doubles, arguably a decision that cost her an award at the end of the year. So um, yeah, I think my vote would go to the Czechs just based on their consistency, the fact that they you know, are just the most longstanding um, partnership in what has been sort of an interregnum period in, in in elite women's doubles. It's not what it was a couple of years ago, but they're they're really standing above above the fray. There's a world where Krejcikova sweeps all three: Player of the Year, Most Improved, and Doubles Team of the Year. And I don't think that's ever been done before. And Keep your so- eyes off my ballot. Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been listening. I know that might be a shock to you. Um, but yeah, Keith, again, we're going to, in Alex's Hall of Fame, that sort of accomplishment, three awards, one season matters. Yeah, that's a good case. I agree. Krejcikova, Sinyakova, and perhaps that she won this award is even stronger case for her to win player of the year, comeback player of the year. Players whose ranking previously dropped due to injury or personal reasons and their current season's results helped restored ranking I know she was, I suppose, 
kept away from the game for other reasons. But like, should there be a Beatrice Haddad Maya appearance on this comeback player of the year list? She's won like a hundred. She's played like 120 matches since the start of August last year. And she's won like a hundred of them. Like that is pretty nuts. I mean, I feel like we decided in 2016 that we don't take kindly to people who are accused or whatever with what happened. So I, I'm not surprised that she's not on the ballot. Um, but these these are pretty much I'm a little surprised to see Sonia Mirza on this list. I feel like I really hadn't seen her play that much short of the start of the season. But um, she's someone who's certainly going to drive engagement in, in the words of as as what we would say in socials. So I certainly think that it wasn't <laughs> a, a mistake that she ended up on this ballot. Yeah, I mean, all good picks. I know you're biased and you take Viznina. Viznina, I mean, she's she came back to win an Olympic medal and she won an Olympic medal and yeah. did even more than that, winning you know winning making the. Um, Roland Garros mixed final, making the Wimbledon women's doubles final, taking some really gut-wrenching losses throughout the season that it's been tough for me personally to recover from. But I think for what Vezina was able to do, not only in doubles and mixed, but even in singles, making the third round of Roland Garros, making the second round of Wimbledon, playing a good match against Coco Goff in the second round, doing in many ways what she came back to do. And I think for, for as long as she decides to play, I think she's proven that she is a solid top hundred player should she choose to continue this this playing career of hers i know, I know you're biased as well so I'm, I'm curious to hear your pick yeah it's gotta be anaconda and it just has to be because again this is someone who was top 30 player in the world u.s open quarterfinalist former top junior in the world had everything roll in her way before injuries slowed her down and simply put that's what it was it wasn't the game it was no sort of glitch it was simply just the body did not hold up for her and to see her play a full season healthy that on its own is award worthy and shout out to the surgeons who helped make all of that possible. And you got to love modern medicine, go get vaccinated, go get your booster folks. Um, It's got to be her because again, she's back in the mix and it's like, she's a top 100 player. Again, we are going to be hearing from her week in week out and it's just working her way back into shape, working her way closer and closer to being match fit, match comfortable. That's the difference between, you know, now we can actually start talking about her tennis again, her upside, because we saw her play a full season healthy. And with all due respect to Carlos Suarez Navarro, who, of course, incredible story, belongs on this list. And yes, you're right, Vesnina, an incredible comeback player of the year story. You figured they were going to throw Kim Kleischer's on this list just for the PR. Oh, um, that would have been mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I go conjure. I just, I do think because to do it for a full i just think what she was able to do again as great as it was to see carlos suarez navarro play on all of these big stages anaconia is back she is back to being a tour player like that is literally the definition of a comeback it just occurred to me that we didn't talk about one major snub and most improved Ooh, our, ooh. our very good friend marta kostiuk <laughs> <laughs> no that's not a snub. robbed hashtag robbed because i was no, thinking that's... of that role i was thinking of roland garros when carla uh, nearly beat i believe sloan stevens in the first round i mean i, I do think Carla's going to win this one because she is the most sort of recognizable name and has that really great story um i mean with anna the thing that i remember most is that she made a wta she comes back from injury makes a wta final and then retired in that final because of injury <laughs> and, and watching her play qualities at the US Open, obviously there's so much raw talent. I mean, the game is beautiful to watch when it's working over the course of a three set match. There are, it's, it's sort of, there's that Sabalenkin quality to it, where you're going to get large swaths where the serve is off the forehands getting ducked into the net, but when it's all clicking and hopefully she's able to hold up, the body's able to hold up long enough for it to all click, because if it does, 
uh, watch out 2022, another potential nominee in one of these awards, if she can keep it together. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know who belongs on the comeback player year list? What about Slim Stevens? She's back in the mix here. It was just like after the floor fell out from underneath her in 2020, back in top 54. Like she just, again, she looked competent this year. And I know that's a stretch because she was obviously exceptional before, but her game was back. Her fitness had improved. Again, her just presence on the court, there was a confidence she was exuding that we hadn't seen from her a little bit before. I know she's not going to win this award, but I'd put her on the short list. Again, someone, yeah, someone who you felt like was just short of it, like a signature comeback yeah. results. Yeah, obviously fitter and feels positive and, and, and definitely feels like is working her way back, has had, you know, sort of her ups and downs in her career, you know, emotional setbacks and all of that. But I, yeah, I, you hope to see her play better, um, even better next year now that she sort of set that that baseline. I don't know if she would count as being someone who was out of the game in the way that an Anna Kanyu for Carla, Sonia, even, uh, and Vesnina who were just out of the game for large stretches. I mean, Sloan's Sloan has been there. She just hasn't <laughs> been winning a ton of matches the last couple of years or oh, hadn't. Okay. All right. With that in mind, rapid fire through the end here. And again, we'll do an extended podcast on this in December. Best American. Would you go Pagula, Brady, Goff, someone else? Yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about something you're going to remember from the year of 2021, <laughs> Pagula's winning streak against Carolina Pliskova. I mean, talk about yeah. like one of those sliding door matches. If Pliskova figures out Pagula earlier in the season, maybe Pagula has a very different year. Um, I mean, what Brady was able to do at the Australian Open is in many ways unforgettable and other ways I forget that she actually did make the final. I agree that she yeah. seems like one of those stereotypical grand surprise semifinalists and the fact that yeah. she was able to go one deeper and make the final has had, you know, coaching switches and injury struggles since. Um, and what Anley has been able to do. I mean, every time I see Anley on the court, I'm very happy. So, and winning the title in Tenerife. So that's that's a phenomenal one. But I think I think Pagula takes this one pretty handily. Yeah, I agree. Shout out Claire Lou. She's pretty good this year, cross levels as well, but not quite on that tier. She might be the fifth person you have on that ballot. But, oh no, what about Danielle Collins? That's someone I left off. She was really good for, yeah. for a nice six week stretch there. Yeah, talk about somebody who, again, was seemed like just short of like that big breakthrough. I mean, had that, so I've had this debate with a mutual friend of ours, Ben Rothenberg. I don't like to give him more credit than he deserves that I was saying San Jose was this impeccable run for Daniel Collins. He's like, ah, San Jose doesn't matter. You, you know how he gets there. He's like, nothing matters except the grand slams. But you look for Danielle Collins, like, again, would she go 19 and one or something over a six week stretch? And you look for her run in San Jose to beat, you know, Rogers, Stevens, Rabakina, Kanja, Kasakina, all five matches in a row. And for her, you know, at the U S open tough draw third round arena, Sabalenka, but she holds seed there, you know, three set loss to Pagula in Montreal has to retire against Rogers in Cincinnati after playing so much tennis, but like, Again, another player who's dealt with a lot of injury issues, and she's finally healthy this season. We saw some really good tennis. Yeah, I mean, someone who I felt was a dark horse to make a deep run at the U.S. Open. I spoke to her before the mm -hmm. tournament. You know, was in sort of an emotionally. You know, I think just is. It's. It's. I think it's tough for her. I think for someone who we see on court who seems to feel so much in many times, but really had sort of a lower key U.S. Open, and I think it didn't end up boding well for her. For her prospects, sort of getting. Um, decisively beaten by Sabalenka, one of those players who, yeah, would, had she gone deeper in New York, I think we'd really be talking about her in, in these sorts of conversations. Yeah, so she was excellent. I agree, though. You probably have to go Pagula, though. Goff has a case, no doubt about that. 
Uh, I know we've talked about it. Best hot streak. Is it Conteve? Was it better than anyone? You know, again, the Ostapanko seven-match run was really freaking good. Kerber, Benchic. I mean, Tossin season. Uh, Barty's season um, was a hot streak. Um, no, I mean, it's Conteve. It's over Prechikova, Strasbourg, French Open, Wimbledon, that little run as well. Um, yes, because what Contevide had to do, every match was high pressure. If she yeah. lost one match, she was out. Um, and the, even going back to Jabor, I mean, playing that that many matches has a could potentially have a physical impact on you. We're seeing what. It's, it's sort of why I wouldn't even consider Jabor in the most improved conversation because in many ways, physically, she, yes, what she did was what she did was impressive, but she broke her body broke down at the end of the year. I mean, that's that sort of doesn't bode well for her long term prospects if she cannot play this sort of high level throughout. The, maybe she should play fewer tournaments, play not as many matches um, yeah. on lower levels. But um, yeah, I mean, what Kansavai did was, and then to take it not only take it to Guadalajara, but to take it to the final, win her round robin group. Um, really blitzed Carolina Pushkova, like off from a net cord winner to like just winning some 12 games in a row. I mean, it was just um, some phenomenal stuff from her. And, and you look to see her build upon that. And then you're going to really remember 2021 for what Conspite did in the fall. But a lot of it's going to be predicated on what she ends up doing or doesn't do in 2022. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Serena Williams power tennis invitees. Now we're not nominated. You know, no one's getting inducted into the country club this year because I don't think our Grand Slam winners Krejcikova is not a Serena Williams power tennis country clubber. Raducanu, I don't think it's power tennis. It's just good tennis. Uh, Barty, she can come hang out anywhere she wants, but I don't think she has a spot on the neighborhood. You know, Sabalenka has obviously been a member now for a year. She gets renewed for another year. Rabakina, does she get the upgrade from like? You know, you're working the doors to, all right, you can come golf on weekends. Like, I don't know about her. Samsonova is certainly allowed to come hang out now. You know, can't own property yet, but she can come hang out. Clara Tossin, we offered her, it's called new membership fees, where it's just like, hey, you pay less at the beginning, but we know it's going to pay off for us down the run that we're collecting fees from you already. Like, I'd throw Clara Tossin in. I'd throw Rabakina in. Samsonova now can work doors. Uh, who am I missing? I don't think Ann Lee. It's I mean no. Ann Lee is predicated on quickness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, those are the nominees. I'd say those are our three yeah. newcomers this year. Yeah, Verbakina was a weird one. I mean, I remember seeing her first, seeing her talk in Chicago, and she was talking about how everyone was really gunning for that spot at Guadalajara, when felt like it was on the table. And that was when the the list of players who could potentially make it was out to number forty, and you really felt like, wow, she's serious about that she's gonna make a run and then got injured in chicago like in the next match and then really just disappeared um for the rest of the season and and had one of her what if moments um in the quarterfinals of Roland Garros against Pavlia Chankova match right after she beat Serena Williams you feel like maybe she should have taken that momentum into the final would have gotten Zidanechik for a first Grand Slam final I think she's uh, in in many ways she's the like the next step up from a Clara Towson has been able to do it a bit more on the bigger stages same sort of clean powerful style that people really gravitate towards um yeah i mean towson and samsonova would be my two for sure among the newcomers yeah no it was a good year for the power tennis country club no doubt about that all right with all that said i'm gonna make an editorial decision i know a rare one i i do want to hear your thoughts but i feel like we could do this on a separate podcast but again i've so i'm not going to respond i'm just going to leave the court floor open to you 
your reaction to the ATP Tour Finals? Tough ending. I mean, <laughs> I think it's it just continues to be tough when, on one hand, you're reporting the news that Alexander Zverev won the, the ATP Finals, but it's hard to feel like something that you can really celebrate given what continues to transpire both off the court and in many ways sort of how he conducted himself over the summer on one hand, telling people to stop asking about his off-court situation, the ongoing uh, investigation into his domestic abuse case, and then sort of fanning the flames about bathroom breaks and, and kind of encouraging people to bully Stefano Tsitsipas while also telling people to protect his mental health felt very hollow to me and sort of spoke to a deep character flaw. I mean, I think going into the week, you were looking at Medvedev and Djokovic, and Zverev did beat both of them. Mm -hmm. That is a thing that he did. I mean, I think my big takeaway from the week was what Kasper Ruud was able to do in round robin against um, Andre Rublev, a player who he who had his number. He knew he had his number. There's footage from him, I think, in Paris talking about how Rublev has beaten him four or five times in a row, never beaten him before. He's my rival and was really out of it down a set in the break and comes back and just that forehand, man phenomenal stuff like you know my boy Bedosa just like really really enjoyed watching him play through the year and was happy to see him conquer the sort of clay court tag that he'd been given and you know was able to play as well as he did on hard courts San Diego Indian Wells ATP finals clearly gassed in the semifinals against Medvedev and no shame in losing to probably the best hard court player of the season, if you're just going by surface, I'm sure you have stats that's going to prove me wrong. Tell me that Djokovic actually on ELO and break points, it's actually better. Um, but I think looking into 2022, you look at Medvedev as sort of that, still that leader of the next generation. You see Zverev sort of creeping up behind. I do think in the big, big matches, I think Medvedev still has the mental ascendancy over people like Zverev. I think that um, that certainly you know, behooves him and maybe behooves the ATP that they um, they don't have to deal with that potentially um, winning a major title. But yeah, it's it's just, it becomes more and more complicated as this investigation continues to go on. And I think the appetite for the extreme amount of success that we have seen from, from him in 2021 has not really been, it's it's not something people are necessarily hungry for, but he's, he's doing it. Yeah. He won. That's yeah. my thought. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Just so you know, three members of the top 10 club on the men's side, Zirev, Djokovic, Medvedev. Makes sense. Like, I, I do think we've had a key three emerge. Not a big three, a key three. And I think it's Djokovic, it's Zirev, it's Medvedev at every event. Now, Tsitsipas belongs in that conversation the moment we get onto the clay courts. But I do think on the other surfaces, he hasn't proven it to the level that those other guys have. And... I agree with you. It's such a conundrum, particularly for us, because we have to talk about the results. And if you're doing a daily podcast on the results, you have to talk about Alex Zverev. And if you're talking about him objectively, you see a guy where everything's clicking. Career high hold percentage, career high break percentage. He is that good now. Like when he is on his front foot, hitting his backhand, it's as good as anyone's. He's also six foot six, blessed with a 135 mile per hour serve. And just there are times when he looks untouchable. He's gone from a bad volleyer to being legitimately good at the net and can throw in the occasional serve and volley to try and combat the nerves and just. Like, I do think he is that good now. It's it's Grand Slam or bust in 2022. And you could argue that was the case entering this season as well. But now it's really like, okay, there's nothing else left to win. And you're right. Like, to that point, 
when he wins the 2022 Australian Open, what do we do? Like, what do we do? Because it just continues to feel so icky and just it has not been properly addressed. We have not had an update on the status of the investigation. We don't know what that investigation even looks like. And just, again, it's because I find, it, tennis- hard to, I find it hard to analyze him. I don't really yeah. care. I don't know what he's doing. It feels like I don't really know what I'm what he's doing well to win the matches that he's winning. And in many ways, I kind of don't care. I just like it's sort of just this this tough position that we're all in. And you have tournaments who are just covering this as normal, you know, that are giving him the same. You're getting directives from tournaments saying, you know, you can't cover this player any differently. He is a player in our draw and he's going to get the same treatment Um, while this is all happening, while we still haven't gotten great answers um, from him, sort of a weird interpretation of the legal system that we were getting from him at the U.S. Open. And again, just... The tough one, I mean, especially when you're looking at that next generation of like players to get when when you're dealing with this this beloved generation, you know, what, however you feel about Rob, Roger, Rafa, and, and Novak, and Andy as well, and um, players who have have galvanized uh, the sport to to have it be inherited by somebody who has this sort of um, arrogance about him. Like no yeah. ifs and or but it's uh, he it's just it's all about him, right? It's always about Alex Virev and. Even like at the end of the freaking matches, the handshakes and the hug around, it's like, let me convey to you, me, Alex Virev, telling you, hey, great match. Um, it's just like, yeah, there's just, you're right. It's just, it, it doesn't feel great at the same point. On the flip side, I would disagree or not disagree, but just say from our, my perspective, having to cover the tennis day in, day out, it's just like all the weaknesses from earlier in the career, the forehand being a little bit big. It's not as more. It's not of, you know, of vulnerability, a liability as a return and his ability to step up and take it earlier in the court. It's an issue. He, you know, best of five fitness, not an issue for him anymore. First weeks of grand slams, not an issue for him anymore. It's just like, it's literally the mental leap of becoming a grand slam champion because you still do see in the six, five moments, third set, six, all breakers or whatever it may be. Yeah. That's when the nerves come out and that's where he gets extraordinarily tentative, but that's it. It's like being nervous in big moments is the last thing for Alex Virov. It's no longer a tennis question. And as fans, we do need to figure out like, again, if this guy's the best player in the world, what do we want to do about it? Yeah, I just, I I don't, I don't know. And it's sort of this weird conundrum that we find ourselves in, in this era where we're, we're reckoning and there's accountability. And I still think it's hard for many people to associate bad deeds, uh, people who do bad deeds also doing good things. And you feel like, well, they're doing so well. How could that, how could this be true if they're succeeding so much? I mean, Tanya Harding won the 94 U.S. Nationals in the wake of a lot that happened to Nancy Kerrigan. So not necessarily, it's not necessarily the case that, you know, he should be succumbing to a feeling of guilt. And I think, like you said, there is this, you know, I'm going to say this like a selfishness that I think you get, you get from a lot of tennis players, but I think in many ways you see someone's greatest strength is their greatest weakness. I mean, I think that selfishness has carried itself beyond the realm. And I mean, you're getting endorsements from players like Novak Djokovic, who is, you know, sort of diminishing the scope of what he is dealing with off court and, and, and giving the sort of classic, well, he's always been great to me defense. And that sort of gives, it increases the dissonance as, as there continues to be no resolution, new fans are tuning in every day, learning about their new favorite player, Alexander Zverev, and then having to deal with this, this information on the back ends. And it's just, it's so 
it's muddled from start to finish. And, and it's just a tough way to sort of embark on this new chapter of men's tennis. I mean, I guess where else, where else was there to go from the golden era? <laughs> I mean, how do you, how do you top that? And I guess you, you top it with this sort of weird, this sort of uncomfortable chaos in which we find ourselves on the brink of. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, yeah, I, 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 well said. That's all I can add there. Um, again, you're right. And it's just from a tennis perspective, he's right there. I mean, there are three clear cut favorites entering Australia. It's Djokovic, it's Medvedev, it's Virev, and then it's the rest of the field. And so it will be fascinating uh, to see where we go from here. But with all of that said, again, award season is underway and now we get to do the fun stuff project forward towards 2022 and of course we will have you on the show again over the next month maybe we'll just do like a costume pod where it's just like hey what what are your thoughts on her season how does she get better in 2022 or maybe we'll pick a list of players who we see big jumps maybe we see some people falling back whatever it may be we'll get you on the show again uh over the next month or so but with that in mind any any fun articles we can expect from you over the next couple of weeks what can our fans what are we what, are, what does the month of december look like for david kane so far it's pretty empty i have to say yeah. <laughs> i'm really trying to take advantage of this off season i know we have a, yeah. we have a long year ahead of us and um, I, i'm hoping to touch base with some of my players uh as they return from their vacations and begin their preseasons trying to give everybody the space that they they really earned and deserved after a long year of being so amenable to all kinds of different press conferences be it over the phone over zoom i think it's some in person i think it's just been such an uncomfortable year for, for the players in so many ways having to adjust to different bubbles and protocols they've earned a vacation and I'm, I'm glad to see so many of them taking advantage this week but and, and to the extent that there are articles to expect from me you can find them on tennis.com and you can see me promoting them on twitter and instagram at dktnns that's dktennis tnns on all major social media platforms i love it what does a birthday <laughs> dinner look like for david kane what's the what's the meal there well i kicked off my birth month with my <laughs> pot roast which is sort of like my all-time favorite but i really blew my wad on that at the beginning of the month and thought, well, I can't make that again, even though I do have two more pot roasts in the freezer. I have a very Italian-American freezer going on <laughs> in my apartment. I've got pot roasts, I got short ribs, I got burger patties, I got bolognese mixes, but um, I just did like a simple spaghetti and peas with chicken. I've been sort of grazing off of that for the next couple of days in sort of anticipation for the large Thanksgiving feast that is to come on Thursday. Yeah, I forgot because there is no thing, big Thanksgiving dinner for me. And I could, for the record, there are options available. I have been invited. Thank you to the people in Indianapolis who've invited me on that Thursday, but that's the day before a tournament. And like, I just don't want to talk to a soul on that day. So I'm going to enjoy my miserable Thursday mornings as always with my Detroit lions and then go from there for the rest of the day. There'll be a 4 PM nap, all, all the usual, uh, you know, hey, the parade's the, not going to watch itself. Yeah, exactly. If, if I'm not there watching balloons. Exactly. Someone's got to give TC plus ratings in, in the last week of November. And it'll be this guy right here. Someone's got to watch world team tennis. Um, no, yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, yeah. With all of that said, uh, David, as always, happy Thanksgiving, happy birthday, my friend. Thank you for inviting yourself on the show. It is always a pleasure. It was a pleasure having me. <laughs> Take care my friend. Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with Tennis.com editorial producer David Kane. A thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. As you listeners can tell, 
it's a guaranteed hour, at least, as I always enjoy exploring David's thoughts. Never afraid to zag, always willing to offer that counter opinion. That's what makes him such a fantastic podcast guest. And as we alluded to at the end of the episode, expect more from him as we shift into off-season mode here in December, of course. Still have a couple of things to wrap up. Always there are Challenger matches happening. If you've missed any of the action on the Challenger Tour, listen to Monday's episode of this podcast. Of course, if you missed anything at the ATP Tour Finals, you can catch up on it all on our mini break podcast feed college contender series rocking and rolling we're previewing our top tens men's and women's programs entering the 2021 season you can join on in on that discussion each and every tuesday and thursday and again be out on the lookout for podcasts on our great shot podcast feed our cracked interviews podcast feed and of course articles on our website crackedrackets.com of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the of any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our fantastic guests, David Kane, super producers Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>